0: For any new or repeating listeners, thank you so much for joining Aspire to Lead podcast. This episode is sponsored by TOTL. TOTL is an all-in-one teaching and learning platform used by over 40,000 educators around the world. This year, TOTL is hosting the largest virtual gathering for school leaders across the globe on March 3rd and 4th. Join 5,000-plus school leaders and leadership experts at School Leaders Boot Camp and learn, connect, and grow with your professional learning network. Get your free pass now in the show notes or at joshstapper.com. And I know you're probably wondering, why should I go to a school leader's boot camp? Well, as a school leader, we all know that we put everyone before ourselves, our team, students, parents, and this wonderful leadership event is going to give you the opportunity to focus on yourself and your practices. Join a global community of school leaders to realize your vision, learn together with some phenomenal folks. Build lasting relationships and take back actual insights. You know, I love free resources, and this is a fantastic event and resource for you. Go over again to the show notes or joshdamper.com and get your free pass now. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. I have the wonderful Alfonso Mendoza with me. I just saw him at TCEA, and he rocked the presentation. I'm so excited to have him on Aspire to Lead. Fonz, how you doing, buddy? I am doing
1: wonderful. Thank you so much for the invite. It is an honor and a pleasure to be here with you today And. I definitely want to say thank you again also for being able to stop by the presentation and it was
0: wonderful to see you there and uh, for sticking around and for the support, man. I really appreciate that. Oh, you did such a marvelous job. And when I saw you were at TCA, there was a small list of people I definitely wanted to meet in person. You were a part of that. I've now got my, Ed Tech Life podcast sticker. I'm gonna put it on my laptop. Saw you, you know, presenting and doing so much on AR VR, which we're gonna talk about tonight. But before we dive into all the technology and different avenues of your educational life, I'd love to hear about your journey, what you're doing in leadership, and of course, you know, some of the projects you got going on. Sure, absolutely. So
1: my journey in education started 16 years ago, actually. And I was, a, I guess, a late bloomer in education. Uh, I never intended to be a teacher or go into education at all whatsoever. My goal was to go into business, uh, marketing and sales, and of course, just make it big and live this lavish lifestyle. Um, but, you know, things change, you know, certain circumstances happen. And, uh, you know, during that time, my dad kind of fell ill and He's great now, you know everything's good. But at that time, I had to help with, uh, you know, being a caregiver and especially being an only child. Just have to be available to my parents and, you know, move around and do whatever it is that we needed to do. So, I had to make the decision of, okay, I I need to find a different type of job. At the time, I was doing uh, management, marketing, and sales, and the hours weren't as uh, parent friendly, I would say, and especially in this situation. So I had a friend of mine call me up and he's like, hey, um, they're needing some math teachers at this high school. And I was like, all right. So I went in, uh, got an interview. I called. They brought me in that next day. And as soon as I walked into that principal's office, it turned out that the principal that I was speaking to was a teacher at the high school that I graduated from. And we just knew each other right from the get-go because his wife was my teacher and he would always come into the classroom And, uh, we hit it off interview was 10 minutes long. He's like, I get a call later that afternoon says, Hey, come in and fill in your paperwork at HR and you're going to be a math teacher. You have enough credits for it. So did, um, a alternative certification program came in that first day. And I'm going to age myself here. Gave me two binders full of transparencies, which were the lessons. And there you go. I started as a ninth grade math teacher. For three years, then I moved down to elementary. And I, I, I can't say this enough and stress it enough, but I absolutely fell in love with education. Mind you, this is something that I never planned on going into. But when I got in and I started working with the students, and of course, starting in ninth grade and then moving down to elementary, there was just something about everything the aspect of always having, it was always exciting, something new all the time, you know, and that is really where if you've, uh, you know, seen me or know me for a while, I always say three words that a friend of mine shared, which is improvise, adapt, and overcome. He's a former Marine, and and that's what the Marines use, but him telling me that at the beginning of my career really has helped just kind of keep me level set, level headed, and, you know, because as a teacher, we need to improvise, Lesson doesn't go well. Okay, let's see what we can do and switch it up. Um, We've got to improvise many times because it's like, oh, that tech may not be working, but let's try it this way. Um, And then, of course, you just want to overcome and make sure that you deliver the best that you can to the students and uh, make it a learning experience for them. So 16 years later, you know, now I serve at the district level as an instructional software specialist, which is really rolling out training for teachers, just being very familiar with all the tech platforms that we have to help inspire the teachers, inspire the students to really get involved with the tech component and use that to, again, also create great learning experiences and memorable ones for sure. Yeah, that's been my role since for the last six years. And it's just been great. Also, you know, being able to connect with other educators and course, life on Twitter, all while managing doctoral degree. I'm in my last year before I get into dissertation. So it's been, uh, like I said, something that has made a big impact on my life. And I feel like doing this too is kind of giving back to a career and a profession that has given me so much. And obviously wanting to grow into a leader to help other teachers
0: continue to grow and to continue to aspire to lead. I love it, man. Congratulations on the doctoral program. I know that is not an easy trek, but I know you're going to do a wonderful job. And then I want to talk to you about kind of tech implementation. You talked about adapting, and I can only imagine that the last couple of years has been a whirlwind for you like many, Mm -hmm. but then also just the fact that everyone probably in your campus and your district was leaning on you pretty heavily on the implementation of technology. So with that, I want to know, with all the many resources, with all the many tools at our fingertips, you know what do you do to help folks when they're trying to figure out what to do to implement that into a lesson?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you weren't kidding about the leaning part on it because once they shut down the schools, uh, it was the week before spring break, and so we didn't have a spring break. Really, my spring break, I spent doing six sessions a day onboarding teachers that were not familiar with Google Classroom, they weren't familiar with a lot of the platforms because at that time, uh, there wasn't a need for it. We had those small pockets of innovators, but then everybody was coming in. So you're talking about having about 60 to 70 teachers every session. Some of them would repeat sessions. So I would see them in the morning, I would see them in the afternoon. And that went on for a whole year, just being on call posting things up, resources, you know, way into the, the the wee hours of the night. And, but I felt like a fish in water because I had just finished my master's in EdTech and I was like, oh, this is it. Like my number's been called up and I was just so excited at being able to use all the, the what I had learned and help apply it here in our district to help our teachers just feel comfortable and flipping that switch from, you know, brick and mortar to now flipping the switch on the Chromebook. Uh, and their laptops to go virtual. So my, the thing that I learned prior to this and moving into this role and making it very applicable in the, in the eight years that I was in the classroom is I always had a tendency to make or keep things simple, no matter what, whether I was teaching algebra, I just always wanted to trim the fat, keep it simple, but make it relatable to not only the lesson, but also relatable to real-world experience. Same thing in elementary. So coming into this uh, role as an instructional technologist, I have always wanted to keep it simple and give the teachers uh, the lowest barrier to entry on any tech. Again, just by making them feel very comfortable with the tech and coined a couple of phrases there in our district that a lot of teachers, uh, you know, often, you know, when I see them, Uh, They'll kind of just mention them because I always told my teachers, don't fear the tack. Just get clicky with it. There's nothing you can break. So I'll walk by campuses sometimes and they're like, hey, Mr. Mendoza, I'm getting clicky with it, you know, and you build those relationships, you build that trust. And then because you lead them and make them feel comfortable, then they open up a little bit more and are willing to trust you that you're just not putting the tech out there just for tech's sake and just to, uh, I guess I would say, like, you know, shove it in their classrooms, but that there is some intent for it. There is that intention of them growing along with the tech and also for the students to grow along with the tech. Now, as you know, not everybody always buys into it. Some We have some slow adopters, but I the way that I approach them too as well is, well, let me see what I can help you to save time. And usually that's when you get them to just, you know, do a couple of automations here, use a couple of tools there that saves them time. And one of the biggest compliments that I feel that I'll never forget is we have a teacher in our district who's 30 years or over 30 years in the district. And she said, you know what, Mr. Mendoza, after everything that I've learned from you, So I feel like I can keep teaching at least for another five because things have gotten a lot easier with the tech implementation and so on. So really the motto is just keep it simple, get clicky with it because you can't really break anything. Just refresh or click backspace or just exit and then go back in. And it's worked, you know, to this, you know, up until now it's worked. And the fact that our district has been great at listening to, um, our suggestions on the curriculum side too, and in just really standardizing on four main platforms, which are have been Kami, uh, Screencastify, Edpuzzle, and uh, our Google Drive or Google Classroom that we use because we are a Google workspace district. So really those are the four major tools and platforms that we have. And I feel that that's definitely helped a lot of teachers out in just keeping it simple and feeling comfortable. And again, You do have those pocket of innovators that will go and try different things, which is great. Uh, But at the end, we know that everybody, you know, is pretty much standard on those platforms and feels comfortable enough to navigate and provide instruction with it.
0: All right, Vons, how do you not have a T-shirt that says "Getting Clicky with It"?
1: Actually, I do. Oh,
0: (laughs) I do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll make sure
1: and share that link. But Again, it's it's a model that has helped out. And like I said, it, it's uh, I love it because, you know, teachers immediately, they just kind of giggle and smirk and you kind of break the ice a little bit. You know, sometimes you'll get teachers that come to a training and they're like, oh, great, we're going to have another training. But then you just say, hey, just get clicky with yeah. it and breaks the ice and, you know, you're, you've got them and just reel them in and, and you just love on them and Yeah, listen to them, most importantly, and you do what you can to help solve their problems.
0: I got the chance, like I said, to see you in person at TCA do your presentation. And you were talking about immersive technology. And I know when people hear that term, they start getting jittery. They maybe get scared because they don't really know what's going on with some of the advanced technology that potentially is going to be in our schools or maybe already is being used in schools. And you were talking specifically about AR, VR You know, what can teachers use? What can administrators try to bring to their campus to kind of get our students ready for the future?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, really uh, my passion back in 2018 at TCEA, that's really when I got introduced to ARVR. And thanks to a big shout out to Leslie Fisher and also the wonderful Jamie Donnelly, who really helped me just or introduced the technology to me. And uh, it all started with the Merge Cubes. You know, these little phony cubes At back in 2008, uh, they were the hype. And all of a sudden, these started popping up at Walmarts everywhere here locally where I live. And they were only a dollar. And so being on Twitter, I was like, wow, these things are a dollar. Well, my wife and I drove probably to about three, I think it was three Walmarts. And I bought them all out. I, I just bought them all So I took some of those uh, to my work, gave some out to some teachers, gave some out to friends, wherever I go to conferences, I'll just like give them out. And so again, with the idea of keeping it simple, you know, I found that this right here, you know, Merge EDU is actually one of the lowest barriers of entry to the ARVR space. So this can help a, you know, a teacher, it can help a student. The content is great. They have content that is in about 37 different languages, also as well. They have immersive reader built in and they work. It works great on iOS, works great now on Chromebooks. So that's another thing, too, because you mentioned, you know, what are some ways that we can leverage this? And obviously, cost is a factor for a lot of this high end tech, but something with Emerge Cube, you don't even need the cube anymore because they've Um, you know, adapted their platform to be able to just, you know, paste it in real life where you can see a 3D version of it on the device or on the phone. So one of the things that you saw me share on the presentation too was that there were campuses actually at the end, they were saying, well, what do I need? Lowest barrier? Does every kid need a device? And I said, no, absolutely not. You know, in my district, when I started introducing this in my classroom, It was only me with my device doing it, but what I was able to do is I gave them suggestions and say, look, keep it very simple. And although you may not have a device for every student, what you could do is if you have it on your phone, you can do a screen recording of your phone as you're using the app. So then you can take that short video and you can go ahead and bring it into whether a Google slide or a Canvas slide, whichever platform you like, and it's just enough to give the student that 3D view, that real life kind of view of what they normally would get on a flat sheet of paper. So it's really just enhancing that experience in the visual sense, but it does make a big difference because now the student sees it as it should be in real life, or at least a, a, you know, a nice a replica of what it would look like the other thing that I love about this technology, Joshua, is that, for example, you saw me, I shared the Statue of Liberty, Statue of Liberty app. And in my area where I live, most socioeconomic area is, you know, very, just uh, very low uh, as far as socioeconomics. And a lot of students may not have an opportunity to ever go see in person the Statue of Liberty. So my thinking is, well, why can't I bring it here into the classroom, and of course, although it's not the real one, we are seeing a replica of it, we are seeing it live before our eyes, we're seeing the way it's built, we're seeing the way New York goes from the daytime to the nighttime, straight from the torch of the Statue of Liberty, and the look on the students' faces when they see this on the screen as either you're projecting it or you're able to show it through a screen recording, just the look, is something that is amazing and making it, making that connection to the lesson. And it's about the experience. And for me, it's always been about the experience. If, if this experience is something that I have, it, it, it's like, as if it becomes part of me, something memorable that as I move on from grade to grade, I can go back and look to that experience that I had and still use that at whatever grade level I have. So, it kind of something that becomes part of you. and and again, not just with the ARVR, but I always try to do that with any lesson altogether that my students would be able to take that experience and be part of them as they move on from, uh, you know, year to year. But lowest barrier of entry always is my my thing is keep it simple. You know, most of your students may have this these devices, whether it's iOS or Android, plenty of apps that are there for free that students can use and for the teacher side, uh, while you were there at the presentation, I told them a lot of these things, you know, a lot of the tools, yes, you can turn around and using your class, but I also challenge the teachers to use these just for themselves, kind of like a little self-care, have some fun, enjoy, get creative, something that might pique your interest that you can use on your own, you know, on a weekend or just play around with it because Sometimes it's just those little things that really create a spark and then you want to bring it into the classroom or you find a way to elevate something else. You get the creative juices flowing. And for me, it's always all about amplifying creativity, not only in the student, but in the teacher as well. And so a tool, tools like this, like ARVR, will definitely, you know, enhance that learning experience. and. The wow factor takes care of itself. You know, you don't have to wow the kids with it. Um, Once they see what it can do, no worries. You know, they're going to focus on the content. But again, just a different delivery mode. And it's something that we're seeing now, you know, on the business side of it. Students, you know, when they go to a movie theater, they scan a poster. They're able to, you know, see something, an overlay, uh, you know, come to life. And so they see it. But they still haven't quite made that connection of, oh, wow, this is an education also. So it's great that we would be able to help bring that into education and then give them a glimpse of what the future looks like. And as you said, definitely a lot of tech that has come out, you know, just recently that we definitely need to start having those conversations and seeing how we can implement it with, you know, the best that we can into our schools as well with the curriculum.
0: Yeah, Fonz, When you were doing your presentation, it was pretty incredible because, like, you were showing not only the Statue of Liberty now, but you were also showing it in its original state, and that looked far different, obviously. And then also, I love the fact that you know you were kind of talking about the history piece of that, but then going into kind of science, you had the bugs, and you were breaking the bug into different pieces, and like spreading around and walking through the you know the different animals that you had on the screen. So you know, there were a lot of different concepts that you could use in the VR for, you know, for those who are maybe wanting to play around. Are there any applications that you would recommend that they could, you know, get on their phone and and play around with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would definitely recommend you get Merge EDU. If you get Merge EDU, you get, um, I think it's a free 30-day trial license and things of that sort that you can use. But there's also the Object Viewer app also by Merge. So if you type in Merge, Uh, You'll find two apps from them. So get those because they do have some great educational pieces. And again, it's the lowest barrier of entry, and it's available both on iOS and Android. Also, keep in mind that it is available also now on Chromebooks, which is great because there are many districts out there that may have one-to-one devices and their Chromebooks. It's great. Now, you know, the iPad is not the only device that you have to have to experiences, so that's been a great thing. So for sure, the Merge EDU app. The other one that I definitely recommend that you will definitely have some fun with is the Statue of Liberty. That one, for sure, it's just on iOS. And the Mission to Mars AR, definitely if you have an iOS device and you get that Mission to Mars AR, that one you actually get to travel into a portal where you are actually on the Mars surface. As you walk around, you will only see Mars and then you'll see a little portal where you can kind of come back into the reality. But it's such a neat experience where you, again, get a little sense of what the terrain is like, and also the Mars Rover is there too as well, and you get to explore. So those four, you know, low barrier of entry uh, to use and to have some fun with for sure.
0: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network.
1: Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode.
0: I mean, we kind of skirted around it. I mean, with AI and like the chat GPT and some of that stuff. I mean, are teachers worried about that? Are they breaking down your door to (laughs) figure out how to use it or how it's going to impact education?
1: Actually, no, you know, I'm, I'm surprised what I did find out though is on Monday, I guess until when we came back on Friday from uh, TCA and yesterday I tried logging on to chat GPT, so our, our CTO blocked it. So that's the only reason I found out they blocked it. So I guess there's a panic from that CTO side, which I understand because the terms of, and, and the agreement there say, you know, it's for to use if you're 18 and older. However, I. I'm not opposed to having it open for teachers. And I'm a member of a CTO group, which is a chief technology officer group, that a chat. And there are some schools that are out there that said, yeah, yeah, we just blocked it for the students just because, obviously, the data, data privacy. And it says 18 years and and over. So I completely get that. I mean, if students aren't using it. And to be honest with you, when I do hear that there are teachers that are using it with students and they have that access, I'm not for it, you know, but again, you know, to each his own, but I'm definitely not a big fan of that because, uh, again, just the, the terms and service and the information that they could be putting in there. Again, for teachers, you know, 18 and older, I have seen, and even myself have experimented taking an old lesson plan back from my teaching days, being able to, you know, tweak it a bit with some different inputs and just enhancing that for me. And not only that, but just the differentiation piece that it did for me, I was so blown away because talk about getting that time back. The initial scare was, and I, I had uh, Lena Marie uh, Sala on the show yesterday, and she, said, she put it quite well. She said, the initial fear of the chat GPT and the AI is because now it's forward facing. It's like right here in front of us. But what a lot of teachers don't realize is that a lot of our platforms that we use already have some kind of AI built in. For example, we had or we have a math platform for students where they take a little mini diagnostic and then it level sets them and it'll take them down this path that until they, uh, you know, get a certain amount of uh, mastery, then it'll move them to the next skill or then it'll bring them down. So there's a form of algorithm there, and a form of artificial intelligence that's happening there. But again, they don't realize those things; they didn't see that it's there because we don't see it. It's it's on the back end. the The platform does it. But now that we see it, like right up in our face, that's where the initial fear is. But I think because of all the chatter, all the talk, and you know, you've got these wonderful educators using it and demonstrating how useful it is to the teacher. A lot of that fear has kind of dwindled away a little bit. Um, Obviously, there's still fear the students are going to be using it at home, but you can't control what they do at home. However, you know, you'll be able to tell, you know, if you know your students and the writing, you know, you'll be able to tell some of those things, you know, because it'll be kind of just very general, very bland writing, and there's no flavor to it or spice to it. So, you know, it does cause you to question or maybe have a discussion. I wouldn't recommend you immediately fail the student or anything, but just have a discussion and use it as a teachable moment, not only for that student, but for all students to say, hey, look, we know that this exists. We know what it can do. Uh, And maybe say, like one of my doctoral professors, he actually said, look, we know this is out there. We know you have papers to write. If you use it, I want you to cite where you used it. Tell me where you used it and give me, uh, you know, just a valid answer of why you used it for this piece and I'm okay with it. But if you submit something to me and I read it and it's a little bland and just real dry and generic, we'll have a discussion, we'll talk. And if there's something that you may need to rewrite, we'll give you the opportunity to rewrite it, but you know, so even in higher ed, their understanding hey, what? this is what we're up against. And to fail somebody, you really have to have just beyond reasonable doubt. And we know also that even the tech that's supposed to detect this is not 100% either. So like I said, in our district, because it's blocked, I haven't had anybody knocking down doors or anything like, hey, this is happening. I think everybody's focused right now on state testing here in Texas and that kind of, the, the talk went away. But Uh, you know, like I said, as long as we, we know the pros and cons, seeing what is out there and just finding that comfort level and saying, Hey, maybe it's time that we adapt our teaching. So students can't very easily just type in a prompt and get a great answer. Maybe we have to have a different kind of modality and, you know, maybe include a multimedia piece, something, an artifact for learning that is maybe just a little bit different that will not rely so heavily on that component, but understanding that it exists. But now let's see what we can do to leverage that for enhancing learning experiences as well. And not just, no, it's we shut it all down. Let's not talk about it anymore. We, we're just gonna put that aside. It's gonna be there and it's only gonna get better.
0: I'm gonna pause for a moment and let you know that this episode is also brought to you by Papa Rob's Coffee. This is by far our favorite coffee in the world. Head over to PapaRob'sCoffee.com. See the many varieties of wonderful medium and dark blends. And then, of course, don't forget that as an Aspire to Lead listener, you get a free code here. Aspire 15 gets you 15% off your entire order. Head over to PapaRob'sCoffee.com. You can get a subscription or just place your order for a single bag of coffee. But I know you're going to enjoy Every last drop of this phenomenal blend is fresh and comes right to your door. So make sure you go over to the website, Aspire15, and grab that 15% off. And now back to our wonderful guest and interview. So you had mentioned that you had a fantastic guest on your podcast. And I will say that if anyone isn't listening to your podcast, they need to do it immediately and push that subscribe button. But will you just kind of share with us just the journey? You know, where did the podcast come from? How long have you been doing it? And who is your target audience?
1: Absolutely. So the podcast started on April 10th of 2020 during pandemic. So prior to starting the podcast and the the months leading up to it, I was doing a lot of work with a Google educator group, Global GEG. So what we started doing is we started doing, you know, Zoom sessions. We started doing Google Meet sessions. Uh, we actually using StreamYard to, to showcase platforms and help educators around the world, English and Spanish. I was doing some of the Spanish presentations for all our friends in Latin America, who at the time, obviously, going virtual, they were looking for resources. They were hungry for the learning because they had to transition. So then I said, you know what, I want to do this too, but just for me here, like locally. And so that was what the intent was. But after a couple of shows, I said, you know what? Global GEG is already doing something like that. They don't need any more videos. They don't need any more how-tos. At least that was what my thinking was. So then it just organically changed into, I want to hear your story. Like, how are you doing? Like, what's going on with you? What are some of the things that you're battling? What are some of the things that you're, you're finding wins in? What are some of the things, you know, that you've had to adapt? How have you overcome this? And so it just organically kind of changed into that kind of conversation piece. And for a while there, I kind of felt out of place in the kind of education or ed tech space, because obviously the show is called My Ed Tech Life, but everybody has a story and not everybody may have a platform to share it. So sometimes we didn't even talk about ed tech. We talked about mental health. We talked about the things that were important at that given time. And things for myself too, as I call myself a multi-passionate creative. I love to have my 10 fingers and my 10 toes and everything. So there may be some topics that I wanted to learn more about that didn't necessarily have to deal with any tech at all. So it just organically just became just a platform to amplify educator, now creator voices too, as well, because I'm finding a lot of wonderful educator creators on TikTok that are, you know, have been on the show too, as well. And just bringing the learning to everybody. And so the intended audience really is anybody that is willing to listen to somebody's story. Uh, obviously it's mainly educators that I have. I do have content creators that deal with education and, or sometimes we'll talk about cre- or something with creators where it can translate into education easily. So that's really what our mission is. And like I said, the mission of the show, connecting educators and creators one show at a time. And so now April 10th of 2023, we will be three years old. And hopefully by that time, they were already nearing 200 episodes and it has been an amazing journey and an amazing run, just learning from wonderful educators, you know, leaders that are out there. And most importantly, that connection piece Like you know, for example, like the way that you and I connected, obviously, is just I listen to your podcast. I know you have a show. We follow each other on social media, love the stuff that you do. And so when you were at TC, I was like, hey, man, I'm presenting here. And then you're like, hey, I'll be there. That right there, those friendships that you build, those connections in the long run and in the great scheme of things, you know, at one time, you know, maybe you and I may need, you know, some help from one another, collaborating or whatever the case is, but say, hey, absolutely, whatever we can do to help each other and build each other up and build our community up, that's what it's all about. So that's definitely been my passion and I've absolutely loved it, every single bit of it for sure.
0: Well, you're doing such a fantastic job. I've been a subscriber of your podcast. You put out content, my man, like every third day, I swear. I see another podcast popping up. So you are at episode 172. I can't wait for you to get 200. I'll be celebrating right beside you. Yeah, your podcast is phenomenal. So I'm going to have that in the show notes. Everyone needs to jump on, take a listen, subscribe. And my man, we are almost done with the conversation here. But I've got two questions for you. One, I love asking all my guests, and that is... If you were to give a recommendation to an aspiring or current leader to maybe do something tomorrow or next week to enhance their leadership journey, what would that be?
1: The best thing that I can give is don't compare yourself to others. Do not compare yourself to others. You have your own story. You've gone through your journey. And oftentimes people may look for a certain journey or may look for a certain look or a certain feel for somebody. I encourage you to not get discouraged if you may not be chosen for a specific role that you really want. I encourage you to not feel down about yourself if you feel like you're not moving up fast enough. This is your journey and this is your story. And it may not be your time yet to be in that role because it may be something else completely different that you didn't expect. I don't believe there's coincidences. You always end up where you need to be and where you're going to make the most impact. So don't compare yourself to others. Take your own journey, your own way. And as long as you are comfortable with what you're doing and you're doing things the right way, your time will come.
0: And before you know it, you're going to be making a huge impact. Great piece of advice. So how can people connect with you on social media? Absolutely very
1: easy on all socials. And I mean, all socials for the exception of LinkedIn, because I use my professional LinkedIn, but on the rest of all socials, just at my edtech Life, you'll be able to connect with me there. And so you can go ahead and please connect with me and DM me any questions. I love to help people out. And if I don't know the answer to somebody, I will make sure and connect you with somebody that can go ahead and be of help to you in solving any questions or any issues that you may have or whatever, that's what it's all about. You know, I love connecting people with others that that can help and build the community up. So on all socials at My Tech Life, LinkedIn is a little bit different, but I think that'll be in the show notes there. I will go into that long URL there for LinkedIn. But again, I'm always here at your service. Anything that I can do, I will gladly try my best to help.
0: Yeah, if you're on LinkedIn, just type in Alfonso Mendoza and you'll you'll find it for sure. But I'll have everything in the show notes for his website, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, all that. And like I said, connect with Fonz. He is amazing. Amazing. So if you have a tech question or leadership, doctoral, you name it, reach out, DM him, and I know he will help you in any way possible. Fonz, you are just doing so much fantastic work. I'm such a huge fan of your podcast and all the content that you're creating. Thank you so much for joining me this evening on Aspire to Lead. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.